Hello, hello, hello. Hola, como estas? Slow Baja amigos. Today, my heaping dose of gratitude goes out to my podcast editor and my amigo, Christopher Kaiser. Uh, Christopher is the guy who makes this podcast sound like it's not nearly as amateur as it is. Um, I appreciate him. He is uh, my technical go-to guru. He makes the thing uh, go. He makes it sound good. I call him with all my questions. He's the guy that berates me for my lax recording style. Uh, Christopher can't say enough about um, you. You've got him a lot more lucrative things to do than get this uh, little show out, but I appreciate that you do it week after week after week, and I can't wait to have you down in Baja for the Nora Mexican 1000 and be part of that craziness. Okay, today's show is with Gabe Erivez. Um, Gabe is a, a tour guide, tour leader, Baja uh, aficionado, um, he, he's deep and I appreciate him. And I just want to get right into that. Uh, he and I had a chance to talk earlier on the podcast with Pacific Overlander, but we did that by, re, um, remote zoom. Uh, we recently got to see each other for the Baja bound, um, lifestyle expo. And that was a lot of fun, but we were both busy as hell. And, uh, finally we got to sit down have a couple beers and just have a good slow Baja talk about our mutual passion, um, Baja California. But Gabe's the guy who gets it, uh, you know, will get you on the uh, trail, um, out and about, and he can take you in his four wheel drive. He can guide you in your four wheel drive or you two can go together in four-wheel drives owned by Pacific Overlander, and he is the resident Baja guide. You can go on these beautiful catered um, excursions from San Diego to Cabo San Lucas or from Cabo San Lucas to San Diego. Uh, before he got um, guiding in Baja, Gabe was guiding in Patagonia and uh, Iceland. He's a native San Diego kid. And, you know, he's in love with the people and the place, and that just comes so str- comes through so strongly in our conversation. And I just want to say, hey, welcome to Slow Baja, today's show, Gabe Erivez. Hey, this is Michael Emery. Thanks for tuning in to Slow Baja. This podcast is powered by Tequila Fortaleza, handmade in small batches, and hands down, my favorite tequila. Hey, I want to tell you about your new must-have accessory for your next Baja trip. Benchmark Maps has released a beautiful, beautiful Baja California Road and Recreation Atlas. It's a 72-page large format book of detailed maps and recreation guides that makes the perfect planning tool for exploring Baja. Pick yours up at benchmarkmaps.com. I think we ought to just get right into it. Yeah. What did you say earlier? You've had two beers, a cigarette, and you're drinking cold coffee? Yeah, two beers, cigarette, uh, drinking cold coffee. It's about eight hours old, so yeah, I'm ready to go. Rock and roll. <laughs> it's slow, ba. I'm sitting in Gabe Erivez's pickup truck. We're in Spanish Landing in San Diego. Planes are flying over. We're making friends with the folks who are sitting nearby, and we're just going to talk about uh, agave expeditions. Um, Gabe's lifelong love affair with Baja, his family, and uh, we're going to jump right into it. Hola, amigo. Hola. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. It's, we, been, a, it's been a minute. We were uh, going to try and do this over at Stone Brewery, and it was just too loud. Yeah, a little uh, 
little issue with the air traffic, but yeah, we're here, Spanish landing. Um, I guess it's fitting to start this conversation at Spanish landing um, and discussing the original California, Baja California. And yeah, excited to dive into this. Well, the, the question that I just asked you um, before we started rolling here was uh, the name of your company, Agave uh, Expeditions. Yeah. You said immediately, I'm an agave nerd. Can you unpack that? Definitely. Um, so, you know, I grew up in Ramona, California. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's about 40 minutes inland from San Diego in the Santa Maria Valley. We have some higher chaparral foothills and rolling meadows. It's really beautiful out there. Um, but obviously it's a great place to grow cacti as well. So where I grew up, I was surrounded by nopal cactus, prickly pear, and agaves. Um, so from an early age, I just kind of gravitated towards this plant. I just loved how it looked. I loved the different shades of greens and, you know, the shape of the, the leaves and everything. So it always just kind of interested me, like where did does this plant come from? Um, so yeah, my early trips to Baja, I just saw agave and down there, the agave, um, yeah, I forgot the scientific name, doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, and so I immediately kind of felt at home in a sense, seeing this plant that I grew up with, um, being down here in this place that was foreign to me at the time. And so yeah, but the actual origin of the name in particular with the company Agave Expeditions, you know, the agave was an integral part of the lifestyle for the natives spanning the Baja Peninsula. Um, so I thought it was fitting to name the company Agave Expedition. It's kind of like at the core of Baja California, essentially, the agave plant. So, Yeah, well, you're, you're talking about fibers and the this, you know, hardening the, the stalks to make spears and, of course, distilling the, the, uh, the, the pulped um, juices of there's a there's a host of uses of that plant for the early people what's going on with agave now can you do you have any sense of uh the agave use in the the ranch life in baja yeah so you know to my knowledge i'm definitely not an expert um but you know from that what makes I've, two of us for the yeah. record slow baja so fans. yeah just speaking on my own personal experience um with some of my friends in the sierra there in there in baja you know, they don't really make the traditional mezcal that they used to, you know, back 100, 150 years ago. Um, however, I think it still does take place in certain ranches um, scattered throughout the peninsula. But again, with, with Mexico, you know, break, coming down a little hard on the, um, on the production of, of spirits, it's illegal in Baja now, I know, to make spirits like that in the Sierra, but I know a couple of, of ranches still do, but it's kind of a dying art, essentially. One of the things I hope to find someday is agave moonshine. Someday you'll kn I'll know that Slow Baja has made it when uh, I have a guide guiding me into agave moonshine. Hey, well, um, I'm delighted to be here. It's a beautiful Friday. I'm in town for the Baja-bound um, Baja Expo. Expo and uh, Gabe is in, uh, while a resident of San Diego, larger San Diego County, he's here for the same event. So I was thrilled to get him in person because I really love um, your approach to what you're doing. Uh, I know I had you on the show with, um, with Mason and Pacific Overlander. We were talking about some of uh, the trips that you run for Pacific Overlander as a guide. And you got to work for him because basically you're trolling him online, or at least he says it laughingly, smilingly, that you were trolling him online. You really 
have a passion, in my opinion. You have a passion, and you're not afraid to come out and say, hey, I think what you're doing is, you know, I don't want to say wrong, but you're not afraid to express your opinion online with folks who are out there pontificating about the Baja. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. unpack that for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I will say, um, you know, I've kind of gone through a little personal growth period, I think, the last two years. Um, You're not as angry and you not as a, Not as aggro, yeah, I guess, or salty, I guess I would say. You're spending um, more time in Baja and you've, you've relaxed. Yeah, just embracing that inner, you know, that Baja Zen, you know, and, and trying to carry that light with you everywhere you go and kind of bottle that up, you know, and, and draw on those reserves. But, um, you know, really it just comes down to trying to educate others and, like, share what I know or what we all know, really, about Baja and try to bring that into a positive light as opposed to being, you know, combative or divisive or argumentative with other people. Um, so really now at this point, yeah, I just think, you know, if I see something that is worth bringing to light or not, I'm not calling out in a negative sense, but maybe challenging and proposing a different way to look at something, um, then I will. You know, but ultimately, it's 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 just all about teaching and growing collectively as a community, as a Baja community. Well, let's get on to Agave Expeditions. You're an adventure tourism outfitter. Take me back to your childhood. Did you wake up one day and say, "You know what, Dad? Screw refrigeration. I don't want to be a pipe fitter. I want to be an adventure tourism outfitter." How did that come about? Because I'm joking a little bit because uh, we have gotten to know each other. Sure. But your your father is a pipe fitter and, you know, refrigeration yeah. guy. And, yeah. You know, yeah. and that's the path that you started. And then Union. You ended yeah. up, then you ended up saying, screw this. I'm going to go to Patagonia, Dad. Yeah. Iceland, Dad. I'm going to be a travel guide. How, how did you – tell me about your childhood a little bit, Ramona. Let's, let's circle back to that. And, let's, and then just get on to how did you become a guide? Excellent. Yeah. I dig it. Um, so, you know, growing up in Ramona, it's a very rural um, community. There's a lot of hiking, a lot of public space um, located to the east of Ramona, endless amount of hiking trails. I, I really owe it to both my parents, for sure, from an early age, but my mom was really into running and hiking and, and loved the outdoors. So from an early age, yeah, I just remember going on hikes with my mom and walks and, you know, she'd like throw me on her back and we have a local mountain, Mount Woodson. So she'd take me up and down there. Um, and that was, I have some memories of that, but I, you know, there's just a lot of photos. She has scars on her knee from when she fell hiking with me on her back. So have all those stories to draw off of, but I, I really just grew up outdoors. I mean, as a kid, I basically just remember wearing shorts in the summer and that was it. I mean, I'd be barefoot for... And in San Diego, of course, summer is really like, you know, from nine and a half May months a year through November almost yeah. sometimes. Um, so like almost seven months. So I was just yeah, not really wearing clothes, cruising around, exploring, climbing trees. Um, you know, my best friend, I met him when I was five years old in preschool. So he grew up on four acres and they have a big chaparral um, hill behind their house. So we got adventuring for hours during the day. Um, and then his grandmother and aunt, they have like 120 acres um, in the corner of Ramona. So we'd go and explore there. And I mean, you know, from a very young age, those are all incredibly transformative experiences, you know, being so immersed in nature and, you know, being able to 
tune into nature signs, you know, and be able to like orient and kind of just pick up these instincts essentially at an early age that have, you know, built and, you know, really been the foundation for where I'm at today. And getting on to your actual work as a, I'm assuming as a young adult, getting on to travel and becoming a travel guide, where did that come from? Yeah. So actually it has a direct tie to refrigeration which is pretty neat. Um, so my dad is a retired refrigeration pipe fitter. Um, he's in the trade for about, yeah, 40 years or so. Um, in the mid nineties, when I was in elementary school, my dad was the foreman for the refrigeration startups for Price Club um, down in Central America. So I had a couple of trips to Costa Rica at an early age. I think I was like eight to like 11 years old. We had a couple of trips to Costa Rica where he'd take me, you know, down to Costa Rica with him as a family. We'd all go down and, you know, he'd be there working on the job site. And I had an early exposure to travel and a travel in Latin America in particular. And, you know, during those moments, I just, you know, really keenly remember, you know, getting off the plane in San Jose in Costa Rica and smelling like the diesel and like the hustle and bustle of the streets, you know, and that is something that, you know, Baja always um, brings those memories back to me. But, um, you know, through that, I was able to travel a lot within Costa Rica and go on adventures to see crocodiles and go to remote beaches and try surfing and kayaking and things like that. So that's kind of the origin of like where I had this idea of like adventure. Um, on those early trips and then you know graduating high school I had a job with a union company working for the same business as my father but there was just always a strong calling this magnetic pull like this gravitational force that was pulling me to the outdoors it was pulling me to try to find a way to engage people outdoors and share these transformative experiences with others essentially so that's kind of where it started um, and yeah, I kind of keep going, but, uh, yeah. So basically I, I worked for several years, saved some money. And then I just saw this, you know, article on Patagonia on Google late one evening. I didn't even know what Patagonia was like the Fitzroy, the climbing, all like this prestige around traveling to Patagonia and Doris Alpine. I had no idea what it was. I just saw that it was on the Southern tip of the South American continent. And I looked at its location on the map and I saw the fjords and I saw the glaciers, you know, the glaciers and the Strait of Magellan. And something just told me like, I wanna go here and I wanna work and move there and, and try to make a living. So that's what I did, dropped out of, out of college. I was at community college. So I dropped out and I moved there essentially on a whim. Broke your father's heart. <laughs> I don't, you know. Just I'd, got you into the trade, son. You just realize what you're throwing away here? Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the time, I think there was a lot of that going on. Um, you know, I was young. I was 21, 22, 23 at the time. Um, I didn't feel like a ton of of support on that end. I didn't know if they didn't understand what I was doing or if I was just trying to escape or, you know, just going for a good time. Um, but during my time there, I mean, I underwent huge amount of growth just fully being out of my comfort zone i mean it was my very first big trip out of the country besides you know small trips to ensenada and things like that i mean so going from you know san diego and local san diego mountains and maybe a trip to the sierras to all of a sudden moving by myself all the way to patagonia 
um, you know, I definitely thought I bit off more than I could chew, for sure, for, for a time there. Absolutely. But, um, you know, after I, I came back, I think my parents kind of realized, like, okay, like, you did it, you were living there, and you were working and making a living, and, and you have all these great experiences and interactions with other people and, and new forged friendships. And I think they kind of saw the light in me that I brought back, and, and they kind of realized, like, okay, like, this, this could be a real thing for Gabe, potentially, so let's, let's let him do it and see where it goes. And so Iceland followed. So Iceland followed, yeah. So I came back for maybe two years, and then yeah, I moved to Iceland, and and the same thing. Um, and right back into working in the trade. Exactly. So yeah. Put, so, so putting some money away easily. Exactly. Yeah. So quickly, rapidly, yeah. right? Like yeah. in a skilled trade, refrigeration especially. Well-paying um, work. Well-paying work. Yeah. Lots yeah. of overtime. I mean, summer we're talking 90-hour weeks are the norm. Wow. Um, so, stacking the money away. Yep. And making mom and dad proud. And then Trying. you say, you know what? I'm going someplace else. And that someplace is Iceland. Yes. So Iceland is um, a little different. Well, you know, Patagonia and Iceland have a lot of similarities. I really fell in love with the fjords and, you know, the large granitic mountainscapes and the glaciers and just the elements. And so I figured, you know, why not try Iceland? But the thing with Iceland is, you know, I'm a big Tolkien and, you know, Norse mythology geek. I always have been. I'm a Lord of the fan. I'm a Lord of the Rings fanatic. If you ask my closest friends, um, you know, when I was in community college up in, in Santa Cruz, we would have parties and I'd have some lit majors at parties. They'd come up and ask me if I was a Tolkien major. Because um, you know, after a couple beers, I talk about you know the origins of Gandalf and why Gandalf would dominate Dumbledore, stuff like that. So if you could just <laughs> if you could just find the uh, mezcal loving girl who also loves <laughs> Lord of the Rings here here in heaven, exactly. Who wants to just chill in Baja, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, so that kind of also drew me. I was like, you know, I want to see the land like of the frost giants and like the origin of like the immigrant song for Led Zeppelin, right? Like they wrote that song when they were in Iceland on tour. Um, and for me, it's like, you know, I love reading. Like, literature is, is such a huge part of my life. Um, and I draw basically all my inspiration for, you know, traveling endeavors. I initially, like that interest starts, begins with literature. And so I read a lot about Iceland and mythology and, you know, the Vikings, et cetera, and the, the founders of Iceland. And I just thought to myself, I need to see this place in the flesh and not even travel to this place as a destination, but I want to get to know the people and the culture intimately. Um, so couple that with an incredible landscape and that's kind of how I gauge, you know, my compass for traveling. Um, so that's really what led me, yeah, to Iceland. So I got hired by a company, Arcanum um, Adventure Tours and we were working on the glacier and ice caps in Southern Iceland. And yeah, I was this, you know, tan kid from San Diego who had hardly spent any time on real, you know, ice caps and glaciers. So they, they showed me the ropes, essentially, for the next couple seasons. So, yeah, that's kind of where it started. Well, let's get on to your uh, philosophy as a guide, and then we're going to weave that into how Baja became the, I don't want to say the sole focus of your travel exploits, but it it's fully consuming like mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Baja fully consumes you, yes. and it fully consumes me, which is why I relate to you so easily. Um, get on to your philosophy. You were talking about um, Iceland a little bit. 
I think people have trophies when they travel to places like Iceland that they know from Instagram or they know from a movie they saw or a book sure. they read or immigrant song or whatever, sure. like if they nerd out on Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Um, so how do you deal with getting getting the getting rid of the trophies and getting into the the mindset that allows you to sort of meet the people where they are you know I think it's something that you can directly relate to and that's kind of just slowing your role you know and like you always say right and for me you know a lot of times these opportunities to you know develop this intimate relationship to this land to Baja it's been you know on these solo trips right where I have no itinerary where I have the space to be very vulnerable right I think vulnerability is huge in our lives whether it's traveling or our daily interactions or just being right like you know it's it's a good place to be when you can kind of break down those barriers so for me it's just allowed me to forge these really deep intimate bonds with some of these these locals in Baja Um, and through that I've like time and time again that's when I'm shown these gems these diamonds in the rough in Baja that you would have never encountered if you were just sticking to a guidebook or just following the hashtags on Instagram or following the reels on Instagram you know like it's just little places that are you know it's part of the land that they grew up on it's part of land that they've been stewards of for generations and then you know they're generous enough to share you know this 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 you know relationship with the land essentially um with me which i'm you know eternally grateful for truly um but i do think that's something that's very hard because not everyone you know obviously has the ability to do that and it's a privilege to be able to do that as well um and i'm very grateful for that but it is difficult i think in today's modern age of you know fast-paced social media and travel media you know you you kind of you there's major FOMO going on out there right you see like the newest post or whatever about Baja at some you know these like pools like salt flat pools for example or you know this huge phenomenon going on with like videos on you know Instagram and you know near Guerrero Negro and stuff like that and now you get more people you know flocking to these regions um so I think it's hard to kind of stray away from that in a sense because they're beautiful, but at the same time, I think it just really can suck us all in at times, you know, and myself included. There's things that I see that I want to go check out, but um, I guess you just have to kind of like stick to your guns a little bit. Those damn drone pilots. That, <laughs> I know. That find these I, am, I, am, I am one of them. I am definitely not, not immune to that for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's just, yeah, it's picking and choosing. 100%. All right. Well, let's get on to picking and choosing culture, cultural heritage. Yes. Um, and again, you back getting back to you where you're you know, your your adventure travel, adventure tourism. What how do you connect those? That's a great one. And it's a question that I love. It's a question that yeah, I've I've grappled with for the last uh, maybe I don't know five or six years. Well, after really leaving leaving Iceland, I think it was very very clear to me there is a large gap, you know, between travelers and you know the culture of of these regions that people are traveling to. You know, Iceland had a major influx of tourism 
you know, around 2015 through, you know, 18 with, you know, several social media campaigns on the behalf of several influencers um, online, you know, just showcasing the marquee spots, right? The bucket list, the, you know, the checklist itinerary. And, you know, through my relationship with, you know, the locals who are now some of my closest friends and, and mentors, um, you know, that's some, something they always talk about is like people are just have the blinders on and they, they just want to go from spot to spot to spot without like people engaging with them. You know, it always makes people are in a rush to get to the next place, but yet people don't want to actually stop and take the time to get to know the people that actually inhabit these regions. Because I personally believe that, you know, a lot of these landscapes were sculpted by the people who inhabit them, but also the, the people of these regions, the culture of these regions is also sculpted from the landscape, right? It's this ever evolving symbiotic relationship at play. Um, so for me, I think I try to set the stage with storytelling, you know, with kind of telling the story of the land and the people and, and trying to create experiences that actually come full circle once, you, once you're immersed in them, right? Whether it's the Tres Virgenes volcanic complex and, you know, talking about the, the Cochimi natives and their ancestors before them, you know, who traveled these canyons collecting the different minerals to use for their pigments for the great mural style of cave paintings in the Sierra San Francisco and the Sierra Guadalupe to the south, um, or whether it's just, you know, contemporary cultural heritage. You know, with my, my close friend Balan, he's a, a panguero in, in Via Jesus Maria, and, you know, so stopping and taking the time to, you know, introduce friends to him, and, you know, they get to know the local fishery and, you know, the change of conditions within the local fishery and, and marine environment as well. You know, so all those all that information, all that, <clears throat> excuse me, all that information, I think creates a very robust experience, right? Where people not only develop an understanding of the landscape they're visiting, but also of the people, you know, of that landscape. I think it's just a, an overall rich experience. I think, I'm not going to say it's the right way of travel or not doing that is the wrong way of travel. It's just for me personally, that is um, what I find most meaningful to share with others who are traveling. Well, on that profound note, we're going to take a minute to uh, talk about if you're going to Baja, you're going to want to go with Baja Bound. So we'll be right back uh, after this commercial break uh, so we can drop a few tacos in our tank and keep having these profound conversations with people like Gabe Edivez. So hang on. Hey, do you wish you had joined us on the Nora 500? Well, here's your chance. It's double the mileage, double the fun, double the parties, double the dirt. It is the Nora Mexican 1000. We're going to drive by day. We're going to party by night. I'm pouring Fortaleza tequila. April 30th through May 6th, 2022, we're driving the entire peninsula. You don't want to miss out on this one. Again, if I can do it in my 1971 Toyota Land Cruiser, totally stock, you can do it in any modern 4x4. The Nora Mexican 1000 is the happiest race on earth. Check it out at Nora.com, N-O-R-R-A.com or on Slow Baja. Here at Slow Baja, we can't wait to drive our old Land Cruiser south of the border. When we go, we'll be going with Baja Bound Insurance. Their website's fast and easy to use. Check them out at BajaBound.com. That's BajaBound.com, serving Mexico travelers since 1994. We're back here. Uh, Gabe Erivez, uh, agave 
expeditions. Let's say that again. Agave expeditions. Gabe. Arives. Oh, my last name. Yeah, Gabe Arives. Arives. Yep. Gabe. Hey, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're back with Gabe Arives, and you know my tongue just isn't relaxed enough. I need a couple of tequila fortalezas to get that tongue loosened up. But we are back. We're talking agave expeditions, and Gabe was getting pretty profound there before the break. I had to take a take a second and reset him. <laughs> um, but you know, it's mindful travel. That was the next the next point that I want to discuss with him. Um, mindful travel you know we're we're getting deep 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 into baja and travel philosophies and i think you are one of the the purveyors of <laughs> deep travel guiding oh man i don't know about that so <laughs> let's get on to your your thoughts on mindful travel is that even possible absolutely i mean i think it's relative i mean it it's hard you know what i mean because i think in order to be mindful in and of itself, you have to have like a certain level of self-awareness, you know, I, I, like, I'll be straight up. I mean, I've done a lot of therapy the last like six or eight months just regarding anxiety and, you know, other mental health things, um, that I've, I've personally struggled with. And so, yeah, I've developed, you know, certain practices that I can, you know, utilize to kind of calm myself down in moments where I kind of feel like I'm, I'm spiraling, et cetera. But through that, I've, yeah, I realized, you know, being mindful and, you know, being able to slow your pace and, and, and be in the present moment. I mean, I, I definitely think it's, it's possible, um, in Baja, of course. I mean, it's possible anywhere, whether it's the city or, you know, a remote desert in Baja. Um, but I do think the Baja Peninsula provides very unique locations spiritually, um, for us as travelers to really engage those pathways. Um, whether it's, I'm not going to like get all, you know, mystical on you or anything, but, you know, personally, I do think, yeah, like the, the desert does contain, you know, certain energy that we can tap into and feed off of. So I think if we approach these places and spaces with that mindset of being open and again, vulnerable, um, to those, those opportunities, then I think they're there, um, to engage with. Absolutely. But yeah, I think it's just like slowing down, like looking at like the, you know, at the, the, the wildflowers, you know, blooming out of a recent rain or, you know, just watching a, a vulture or an osprey, you know, skim, you know, above the water or, you know, catching thermals and spiraling up into the sky. I think it's even small things that don't necessarily have to be, have to be extremely profound. Um, but they're just little moments where they're like almost like micro resets for us, you know, or watching dolphins, you know, just like, swim and leap through the currents you know as the waves are coming in stuff like that just little micro moments that i think add up and they you know they accumulate you know throughout your time in baja that add to that greater feeling of like you know you're here and you're present and you're with the desert and not with you know everything else that's going on back home you know we were talking a little bit earlier about your passion for reading and you were discussing literature earlier can you imagine, with your passion for Baja, my passion for Baja, can you imagine being Harry Crosby on that book assignment and he's supposed to be shooting the, the uh, um, El Camino Real and all of a sudden his guide, Tacho Arce, shows him these freaking cave paintings 
and just, oh my gosh. just blows his head open. Oh, yeah. I was just discussing this. And, um, then, and then there's like a whole bunch. Hey, you need to check this one <laughs> yeah. out. And, and, and just can you imagine coming back here and having that that excitement <clears throat> inside you? I mean, to be honest, I can. Um, I, I can't imagine it. I think I've, I've, I've felt that maybe not on that. It's hard to say, you know, but I, I, I definitely can relate. Absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, but what a, what an incredible story, you know, to, to touch on. I was just discussing that with my dad over coffee a couple mornings ago. Um, but yeah, you know, essentially for Harry to roll into some of these arroyos and, you know, some of the vaqueros, you know, point out some of these cave paintings and then like, oh yeah, there's another one, you know, around the corner. That one's, you know, 200 feet long and 40 feet tall. Like you could, you could fit a bus in there. Yeah. You know? And, and this, this wasn't even 50 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's less than 50 years ago. Yeah. But I think that adds to, like, the mystique of the peninsula, you know, because, like, we were t talking about, you know, the online thing, right, of, you know, people commenting and have, you know, their opinions on, on certain things regarding the peninsula. Everyone has an opinion, of course, about something. And... Um, you know, there's some people I see and they're like, oh, Baja is not what it used to be. Like, oh, yeah, back when Baja was real, you know, oh, back when, you know, Baja, there wasn't a road in Baja. Before the road. Before the road. After the road. Yeah. Baja was ruined when they finished the road, etc. That kind of a dialogue, right? And, you know, I kind of got to thinking after a couple of these more recent trips I've ran and, um, you know, it really came down. I was like, you know what? That's just a cop out. I think people are just being lazy. You know, it's like holding on to these old threads of the past. It's like this change of the guard. It's like the world is changing on a global scale. I mean, that's just the way that the world is moving. There's no going back, right? But if you ask me today, like what the state of like exploration in, in Baja is today, I think it's alive as, it, as, it, as it's ever been. You know, you just have to put in more of the groundwork, you know, because it all depends on like what you're discovering, quote unquote, right? Like discovering like, you know, you're a pioneer or whatever, this whole like colonist idea. But, you know, for me, it's like exploration discovery is like whatever's new to you. It's like and it's not even like an external discovery or an external exploration, right? Like this physical phenomena that you find or see. It's also a journey of like yourself, right, of the mind, you know, of, of becoming a different person or viewing the world a different way but I mean I've found so many amazing geologic features and different little diamonds in the rough like I said before through engaging with locals getting access to a ranch or whatever finding you know an artesian spring or an oasis or other cave paintings that aren't even in the books or an old route you know that miners used to take and were there you know on on mules or were hiking you know to hot springs and and volcanic fumaroles you know, I, I have, yeah, just so much excitement for what else is around the corner in Baja, you know, not looking back in the rear view mirror, but looking forward to what's down the road, you know, what else is around the corner? Is that how you relate so easily to off-road racers? I hear that a lot. <laughs> yeah. oh, the old off-road racers just had this passion. Yeah. Malcolm Smith had this passion for what's around that corner. Yeah. Where does that dirt road go? Yeah. I'm, I was teeing you up a little bit right there. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but no, I think that's that. I, I really did want to actually, actually ask you, um, what keeps bringing you back? 
I mean, you've really sure. devoted your life to uh, helping people. I don't want to say see the real Baja, but to see Baja that's not easily as easily seen. Sure. Uh, when you're staying on the pavement, you're out there four by four guided tours, remote locations. Yeah. Whether it's you know the Seven Sisters or Vizcaino or the Ranch Lifes or any of this that we've you know touched on a little bit, these aren't places that are just say there's a sign that says turn here for Ranch Life. <laughs> sure. You know, you've got to you've got to work to get to some of these places. Yeah. So what keeps what keeps you coming back? You know, oh, well, a first I'll touch on this because you mentioned the name and because it's like a hot topic. So I do not do trips to the so like Seven Sisters Zone. It's like, you know, you have a bunch of basically like white surfers from, you know, Southern California. Says the brown surfer. Yeah, and exactly, yeah. <laughs> One less the, sprinter van. The Mexican-American surfer. And, uh, you know, it's like this whole sense of ownership over this region that they have no claim to, and they're not really actually engaged with the culture and the local stakeholders um, who oversee this region. So anyways, yeah, I don't really go there actually that often anymore. If I do, I go by myself, but I think that there's just... And, you know, the Valle de los Sirios is an incredible... Um, ecologic region and I love hiking there and going to like see wildlife and birds and different species of endemic flora um, but as far as going there just to surf and like be around a bunch of other you know people in sprinter vans um, and grumpy surfers who talk about how it used to be really uncrowded and stuff like that it's just it's not my scene and, and now and now crowded is 12 yeah 12 which people. is it's whatever it's just like for me like baja is much more than surfing at this point so like yeah i go get my waves i get excellent world-class waves but that's just a little piece of the pie of what i'm, I'm doing down here now it's more about like education and and the cultural immersion um and stuff like that but um yeah so what we were saying before when, that i i, I after this, this tangent, sorry. sorry. Yeah, no, 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 and I appreciate the you. I, no, I do appreciate you picking up that thread because there are three or four threads that were laid out right in a row, which is um, one of my one of my faults. Laying out six questions, um, <laughs> what keeps bringing you back? Oh yes, okay. <laughs> On to the yeah, the important thing. So you know, I think there are just there's certain places in the world that call to us. You know, whether it's somewhere local, whether it's like we like to be a homebody, right? Like your property calls to you and you love being a homebody or whether you just like San Diego or San Fran or, you know, anywhere. And for me, that place is Baja. Like Baja feels like home to me, you know, and I don't know. There are multiple, you know, factors for why that feels like home. There's some that I probably can't, I never will be able to identify. Um, but I think it's just, you know, it's like reading a book that you love like once a year, right? And each time you go back to revisit this this book, something speaks to you a little differently or you catch something that you didn't catch before, right? Because A, you're a different person. You're not the same person you were a year ago. And so you have like a little bit of a different insight, you know, that you can draw from that. So I feel like that really relates to Baja for me. You know, the more I learn and the more I, I grow as a person, I'm able to view it in a different light than I was before even if it's places that I've been, you know, 15 or 20 times, there's always something different. But also I keep coming back because it just has everything, to be honest. I mean, you have subalpine meadows, you know, Picacho Diablo, the highest peak in the Baja Peninsula, this granitic massif that just shoots up from the desert floor, you know, almost up to 11,000 feet, you know, 
Um, you have the Sonoran Desert. I mean, it's the most biodiverse desert in North America. Two rainy seasons, so therefore you have, you know, plant and animal species that specialize twice as many times as other species in the other three deserts in North America. You know, all the activities you can do, you know, hiking, climbing, mountain biking, horseback riding, fishing, diving, surfing. I mean, it's, it's endless. The opportunities are truly endless for outdoor recreation in Baja. Um, and then you have the culture too, and the food, and just the amazing people, you know, that are feeding off that energy in the peninsula as well. So I just, it's somewhere that I'll never get tired of. Can you talk a little bit about the people? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, it's a, I mean, it, it varies, right, from, you know, the the binational border region, you know, here, you know, right south of San Diego, TJ, you know, Tecate, Mexicali, you know, down to Cabo San Lucas. It's the second longest peninsula on the planet, you know, so the culture is pretty diverse. But yeah, I mean, just based off my own personal relationships um, in Baja, I mean, just some of, and it sounds just so like, yeah, like generic and, and patronizing, but truly, I mean, just some of the best humans that I've come to know and come to befriend on the planet. I mean, people who have been there for me when I needed help at the drop of a hat, you know, even though they may not like have all the resources that I do or, you know, other other people up here in the U.S. side. Um, and just like people who are like happy with with what they have, you know what I mean? And don't need like that extra level of comfort or like material, you know, material goods, etc. Um, and it's honestly, it's just like, I was talking to my dad this morning, um, about how fishing culture is pretty different in Baja. Um, you know, if you have a a good fishing spot here in, you know, San Diego, California, wherever in the U S freshwater or saltwater, you know, it's pretty hush hush, right? Like let's say you and I met at a bar, right? And when we get to overhear my conversation and we start talking about fishing, you're not going to go right off the bat and say, hey, you know, you need to go to this spot of the jetty at this tide with this wind and use this kind of bait. And on top of that, I'm going to give you the bait you need to fish it. And in Baja, I mean, there's, I can't even count the times that's happened to me, you know, where they say, go here, this is the spot. And I'm going to give you a lure that I made in my garage and you can have it. And it's my only one, but you're going to take it, you know? And I think that's so representative and of, like, the culture. And how do you explain that? How yeah. do you explain, I want you to enjoy here and be happy here, and here's the ticket to that, whether it's a lure, a beer, a fish that I caught, a meal, machaca burritos how yeah. do you explain that well, here here's a little path behind my ranch and it goes to a hot spring and there's cave paintings yeah i mean you know? I, I was just on this this trip with my you know buddies and their old motorcycles and you know one bike broke down and we had a terminal it was an all-day sort of thing there was a little restaurant right there where we broke down but it was closed yeah but the guy came there at whatever we were there from noon till five and he came at five and said and you know oh it's too bad you know i didn't know you were here i would have made lunch for you and he was serious yeah he would have made had he known had he just known that we'd broken down in front of his place he would have run right over and made lunch for us but he was serious how do you explain that where's the philosophy of helping others you know i think it really stems from it stems from culture, in my opinion, 
at least. This is just my opinion. Um, I think it comes from cultures that develop in harsh environments because they're very reliant on the that those strong bonds of community. You know, and it's not about me. It's not about I. It's like something my mom always says, right? It's like living or like your profession or whatever. It's like it's not about you. It's not about I. It's like about and she always says it. It's like how and that's something that I've really learned from her. It's like how can I be of service to others? You know? And I see that every day in Baja. You know what I mean? Like, how can I help you? You know, like always extending the arm to help someone not to like step on them and I feel like in the US it's like we're trying to like step on each other to get like higher and better and get more publicity or whatever it is whereas in Baja it's like how about like let's join arms and like walk this path together you know alright well let's walk this path on out of here tell me a little bit about um, Pacific Overlander so that's how we first that's spoke right. Yep. Um, what do you do for them and tell me a little bit about the company and what it's all about yeah so hopefully i uh i don't botch this too bad mason <laughs> um yeah so pacific overlander they are a company um that my yeah partner and um yeah good friend now mason um he started they rent overland camper vehicles here in the u.s they have a depot in las vegas um i think that's their main hub but yeah, I was their guide for the southbound and northbound Baja trips. So we drove from the border of Tecate and we drove all the way to Los Cabos. And then the return trip, I was down in Baja for about two months. Um, had a couple of other smaller side trips that I ran. And then, yeah, we returned Cabo to Tecate as well, 10 day trips. So yeah, I basically, yeah, I'm the guide guide for those trips essentially. And, and these, are, and these are new-ish um fully kitted yeah fully kitted out uh four by four vehicles yeah four by four vehicles jeep. tacoma forerunner jeep yeah tacoma forerunner jeep gladiators yeah doing some other builds the big trio yeah exactly yeah <laughs> all all kitted with uh, rooftop tents and you got the fridge and and so you're the guide the explaining where to go follow me cultural um uh decoding what people are seeing yes but pacific overlander also provides um, a chef, correct? A yep. cook? Yes. Yeah, we had um, Jenna. Yeah, super amazing human and culinary wizard. Um, yeah, she does, her company is uh, Paracalo Provisions um, on Instagram. Little shout out, Loki. But yeah, so yeah, Jenna was with us doing all the, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner things. So we ate super well on these trips. Yeah. All right. So that's the Pacific Overlander. You got to, um, to uh, meet Mason by trolling him online. He was happy to report on yep. our previous conversation. That's right. You can check that out, folks, on uh, in the archives back, at slowbaha.com. Back so, when I wasn't as woke now as I am now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you see his setup, you see the beautiful photography, you see it all. I'd troll that guy, too. <laughs> Mason, I'm only saying that because I love you. Uh, and then you've got your own... Um, offerings here at Agave Expedition. So tell me a little bit about where people can find you and what what sort of um, trips you run or what you can do for people who are interested in, in going to Baja with you. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, you can find me. I'm very active um, on Instagram. I try to engage a lot of, you know, photos, drone photography with, you know, storytelling. I love just, you know, everyone's stories down in Baja and the different characters and the, you know, cultural heritage 
ecology, anthropology. So I try to tie in everything into like a educational platform there. So yeah, you can find me at Agave Expeditions on Instagram. And then I have a website, agaveexpeditions.com, where you can look at some of the itineraries and yeah, book the trips. Um, but yeah, I basically do, you know, I run adventure, travel, you know, trips, expeditions, however you want to call it. Um, down the Baja Peninsula, you know, so whether they're five-day trips, you know, down to, you know, Volcán Tres Virgenes and back, or hanging out in central Baja for a couple days, or if people want to fly down to San Jose del Cabo, um, I also can run trips out of there as well. Um, I have a lot of flexibility, so I have my set five and ten-day trip itineraries that I put together, and they try to, you know, I include all the elements of, you know, adventure sport you know is what they say but really just like you know surfing and hiking and exploring essentially um but the thing is that you know through that format i always incorporate local guides i'm not going to say i'm the guide you know because i'm really not it's just that you know i try to put the pieces together to link you know different guides in different regions to create a really awesome trip that i think showcases you know what baja is to me at least um so yeah, like surfing, kayaking, hiking, climbing, work with some really awesome local guides um, who helped me put these trips together. And yeah, I'm also open to like custom itineraries. And, you know, again, like I said, if people have their own vehicles, but they just don't know where to go essentially, or they want to kind of get off like your traditional Baja path and engage more with the locals and get, you know, access that you can't really just show up and, and get, you know, right off the bat. Um, then yeah i'll, I'll kind of work on those kind of trips well it makes sense if you've got the rig to and and the means frankly if you have the rig and the means to have somebody like you who can really connect the north of the border with the, the with the guides in the south of the border who you're not going to find on instagram you're not going to find the dude who's going to lead you on the hike that's going to change your life or welcome you into his ranch, you're not going to find that dude on Instagram advertising or on TripAdvisor or whatever. Yeah. These are these are still the old-fashioned um, resources of person-to-person connections. Exactly. And I love that. And, you know, for me, it's like it, it's taken me years of just going down to Baja Solo and literally just, you know, pulling up to a ranch, pulling up to a fishing camp, getting out and just, you know, chopping it up with these guys or, or, or women and just and before even having an idea that's the thing it started organically it was before even i was like oh i want to run trips down here it was just like me being me like i was telling you earlier with my dad just like you know talking to everyone on the street you know what i mean that's how i am your dad's one of those guys who will talk to anybody anywhere yeah for any length until your mom grabs him by the ear and says let's go and i'm kind of like that person now like you just saw me next door with a dude in the the diesel ranger tijuana but uh so that started organically you know and then after the relationship was kind of established i kind of like got there like i asked them like okay do they want even to like have you know tourists in this region or like are they licensed or whatever to operate and that kind of stuff and you know once we kind of got all that cleared up they're basically like, yeah you know let's let's work together to do this you know so it's always been like the relationship first like the business the the friendship first and then the business always comes second you know, so it's like helping them out, of course, like running trips and then they can, you know, generate more tourism coming through their region. 
Um, and then also, you know, you can work together to put really unique put put together really unique experiences. So I think once you get out of the real tourist zones, that is old California, old Baja to a T. You got to come in. You got to put the time in. You got to have the coffee. You got to establish the relationship before we can ever discuss doing anything else, business or anything. Exactly. Exactly. Gabe's nodding his head. Yeah. Do you know how many instant <laughs> coffees I've had? Do you know how many Nescafes <laughs> I've had with these guys? Yeah. And no, if exactly. you ask any of my friends, you know, people like their espresso, their pour over, this and that, man, I will do Nescafe instant coffee and burnt Folgers <laughs> all day long till the sun crashes into this earth. Out of chipped I love it. cups under lit by a single bulb yes. hanging on a... The little red plastic chair. Mm-hmm plastic tablecloth yeah hey can we lightning round three four five favorites that maybe people haven't thought about like we we talked earlier about keith's place at punto abriojo's black Black bass lodge yeah that's a pretty cool spot yeah it's awesome and maybe people don't know about punto abriojo's or other things so without revealing you know too many of uh gabe's secret spots totally the, Which know, there are none. I'm the, all I'm all open doors. You know what I mean? It's not there. I'm not the uh, yeah the gatekeeper to anything by any means. No, we but, talked a little bit about the trophies yeah, before, but totally. But on that three three places that somebody ought to figure out how they can go there, and maybe you're the way they go there. You know, if you were going to say, don't go to San Jose del Cabo, or don't go to Cabo, go to San Jose del Cabo, or don't go to San Jose del Cabo, go to Santiago. Yeah. You know, where where are you going to say? Hey, I can't wait to get back to X, Y, and Z, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, well, let's start from north going south. So from north to south, first stop, I would say you got to check out Via Jesus Maria, which is like everyone always just usually flies past there on the way to Guerrero Negro. It's yeah. about 20 minutes north of Me Guerrero Negro. Me included. Next but stop. Yeah, you got to stop there, but you got to stop and you got if you go to put gas there, you have to stop at the Viejo Cactus. It's an orange building on the south side of the gas station, the Pemex there. And um, it's ran by my really close friend. He's like a brother, Valan, and his wife, Jocelyn. It's, it's some of the best sea, like fish plates and tacos I've had in the peninsula. Valan's a panguero, so he knows those local waters like no one else. Um, yeah, he's been fishing there for years. And a super cool cactus painted on the side of the place i photo actually on my january trip i photographed it we had um food to go that was picked up when we were there they were actually closed but we had uh our dude our our local fixer had picked up a bag of takeout before they closed up but a cool spot oh yeah awesome um but yeah just incredible food and uh yeah they've actually done they they did dinners for us both trips for the pacific overlander trip i had him do us a um he, ba- he They cooked a uh, whole yellowtail marinated with a bunch of veggies and, and shrimp over the coals, over mesquite coals out on the point there um, at the Faro. So, yeah, awesome. So you guys got to stop there, truly. And he's just, they're epic people, um, best of friends. And then number two, number two is like a place that's become super close to my heart. And I've been going back there like several times since my first trip. It's the Volcan Tres Virgenes Eco Lodge, which is the volcanic complex. And there, um, my close friend Oscar Castaneda and his wife, they run the Eco Lodge there. So they have six really awesome rustic 
clean cabins um, that are up on stilts on this hill overlooking the volcanic plateau and the stratovolcano La Virgen, which is almost 7,000 feet tall. It's, an, it's, it's, it's a place unlike anywhere else in Baja. I, I call it Little Iceland, but it's not even Little Iceland. It's just, it's like a desert Iceland, essentially, with all the, the geologic features and all the hiking. You can summit the volcano. I'll be doing a, a volcano summit trip um, at the end of April, actually. It's going to be a four-day trip where we uh, summit the volcano and we camp along the way as we do the ascent. Um, from the summit, you can see the Sea of Cortez and the Pacific Ocean, which is, is pretty wow. outstanding. So, yeah, there, it's I can talk, I can do a whole freaking podcast on that region, to, yeah, alone. Um, but, yeah, number three, the number three spot, I would say... It's a, it's a large area, really, but I would say, you know, if you're down in San Jose or Los Santos, Los Cabos, you need to get up into the Sierra Laguna. Um, it's just such a unique ecologic region. There's a ton of endemic plant and, and mammal species, a lot of wildlife. But the coolest thing is there's a lot of water there um, year-round. So, you know, when it's cooking, you know, coastal in the summer, you can go up there and get a little respite from the heat and go check out some of the water pools and go, you know, rock jumping. And there's a lot of hiking up there as well. So I would say those those three um, without giving away too much, I guess. Uh, I got a lot of other ones in my back pocket. That's a lot to uh, to give up. Um, but <laughs> we're going to we're going to wrap it up um, on this last uh, point here. Gabe, let's talk about our mutual affinity for being here now i pulled that right off of your website be here now yes. i always say slow baja be where you are when you're there we got together at 10 o'clock today and now it's almost three o'clock we've had a couple of beers had some time to talk get to know each other a little bit and i think that's really baja and slow baja but tell tell me a little bit about your philosophy on being here now in travel absolutely yeah i love it um yeah actually i got that phrase from a a book i forgot who wrote the who's the author or the title but it was my ap english teacher senior year um christy holt who is an amazing shout human. out christy holt yeah shout out christy holt um love you you're the best but uh yeah it was a book about yeah being here now about being present in the present moment and i wrote that down in one of my journals and i still have that page from the journal today but you know i think just you know with well i'll speak for right now like with covid and the whole russia thing and everything else going on externally and also within our own lives we all have a different story and you know tightrope to rock to walk essentially at times it feels like um it just feels like it's kind of spiraling out of control. So I think, you know, my, that philosophy, how it applies to Baja, I think it's just, yeah, just be present, you know, with every morning, you know, like enjoy that coffee, like look out and, you know, see what the wind's doing, like just gaze out, you know, into the desert and, and let your mind just be still. I mean, I know it's easy to say, of course, then easier to say than it is to actually put that to practice. Um, but I think, yeah, it's just about like simplifying, you know, simplify our lives simplify the way we travel you know what we think we need when we go on these trips to baja you know we don't need to go like carrying a whole house or <laughs> what did you say earlier when we were having a beer these guys go to baja like they're going to desert storm 
Yeah, exactly. Which is laughable, right? Like, look at me. Sorry. I mean, we're in a, I have a big Sorry. ass camper we're, on we're here. We're in your mobile yeah, podcasting vehicle. No, exactly. It's like an apartment on wheels, and I have a lot, you know, that I don't need for sure. It's kind of hypocritical, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's like we don't need all the things, you know. Ultimately, I think it comes down to just like be a good person, love others, and you know try to give back to wherever you're traveling and always try to you know leave more than you take well on that profound on that profound um thought folks i'm gonna say slow baja approved agave expeditions with gabe arrives did i get that right gabe i'm still working how to loosen my yeah arrives 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 i don't need to roll it he says Agave Expeditions with Gabe Arrives. Check him out on Instagram. He is a prolific writer. You send him a note, he'll get back to you. He's got lots of information, and he will put you on to stuff that you're just not going to see. So check it out. A slow Baja approved. Gabe, thanks for making some time for me. Hey, no problem. It was a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you can have, we can have another um, space to chat down the road. We'll dive into some other other topics. I can't wait. And some mezcal. Absolutely. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. It was very cool to be able to sit down and have a good hang with Gabe, uh, drink a couple beers, get to know him a little bit uh, before we turn the microphones on. Uh, again, that was all sort of in in search of uh, a quiet recording environment, but um, we eventually just did it in the cab, the ample cab of his uh, his truck, the Agave Expeditions Mobile, big big old Ford f-250 um and i you know he's just he wears it all on the sleeve he's deeply passionate there's no hiding it and i just uh, appreciate that about him so if you are searching for a guide if you need somebody to take you to to baja i can't say strongly enough slow baja approved he's your guy and again if you want to get into the whole overlanding thing without making the full investment to buy a rig build a rig whatever hey pacific overlander is going to have uh, a rig for you and Gabe will lead you and there's going to be catered and beautiful and you get a chance to drive around in the dirt in somebody else's fabulously appointed vehicle and check it out and see if that's for you before you make the leap on your own. So again, can't say enough good stuff about those two, uh, the business of Pacific Overlander and Gabe as the guide, whether it's Agave Expeditions or check him out at his own Instagram because there's a lot of great uh, info there and he's a deeply passionate uh, erudite um, uh, fellow who uh, just wants to share, just wants to share the whole place. So, all right, enough about that. Uh, if you like what I'm doing here, please uh, head over to slowbaja.com. Uh, things are slowly trickling back. We've got all the hat styles back in stock now. It's been well over a year and a half. We've got the green and white modern trucker, the gray and white modern trucker, the black and black modern trucker, the old school trucker in green and white, and of course my favorite, the dad hat in black. So they're all there. There's a couple of other of the one-offs that were done during all those supply chain woes. There's still some knit caps. If it's cold where you are, if it's cold where you are, I'm so sorry. Get yourself a slow Baja knit cap. Uh, Shirts are on their way. I keep telling you that week after week. Dang it, they are on their way. Um, So keep an eye on the website. And if you're looking for a large, uh, they'll be here shortly. Uh, We're counting down. It's only a couple weeks now for the uh, Nora Mexican 1000. Again, if you're hoping to get one of those Ask Your Doctor if Baja is Right for You sticker, the only way to do that is see me in person in Baja or make a small donation or a large donation to... um, 
Slow Baja by dropping a taco in the tank. You can do that through the Instagram link or you can do that at slowbaja.com. And that is always deeply appreciated and terribly needed at this time. So, hey, thanks. I'll be back next week with the fun show. To borrow from my old friend, Baja lover, motor vehicle lover, Steve McQueen, Baja's life, anything that happens before or after is just waiting. Have I told you about my friend True Miller? You've probably heard the podcast, but let me tell you, her vineyard, Adobe Guadalupe Winery, is spectacular. From the breakfast at her communal table, bookended to an intimate dinner at night, their house-bred Azteca horses, Solomon the horseman will get you on a ride that'll just change your life. The food, the setting, the pool, it's all spectacular. AdobeGuadalupe.com For appearing on Slow Baja today, our guests will receive the beautiful Benchmark Map 72-page Baja Road and Recreation Atlas. Do not go to Baja without this, folks. You never know when your GPS is going to crap out, and you're going to want a great map in your lap. Trust me.